Oh, praise Jesus. Who's grateful to be in the house of God tonight? Yeah, who just maybe give a wave to me if you've experienced the grace of Jesus in this place tonight? Yeah, isn't that wonderful? He's here. He's here. We just say thank you, Jesus, that you're here. We thank you that you're here. We love your presence and we love what you're doing and we just invite you to continue guiding us as we look to you, that you would speak and move and mold and shape and do everything that you'd like to do in this place, Jesus. And we pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Before I preach, I just have this, oh, I guess, conviction in my spirit. And I just want to create a, an opportunity. If there's anybody in here that you have been far from the Lord or you don't know the Lord and you want to receive the gift of salvation tonight, it says that Jesus shed his blood that he could call those that were far from God home to the Father so that he could give them a life of blessing and goodness and kindness and the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. It's a simple message, but it has the message to change everything about who you are and your life and your family and generations to come. And I just, if you've been far from the Lord or if there's something happening in you tonight and you feel like Jesus is inviting you to salvation, I just wanna invite you to stand there's no pressure, but if that's something you're saying, I want God tonight, I have been far from him, and I want him, I just want to invite you to stand right now. And if not, that's okay too, but I just feel prompted to be obedient. Is there anyone in here that God is knocking on the door of your heart? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody else that takes such courage? Such courage. You know, if... Is there anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just... If you're on my prayer team, I just want you to surround anybody that's standing right now, and we're just going to pray with you. And I actually... Is there, is there anybody else that wants to stand? I don't want to miss, but it says that Jesus would leave the 99 for you. Hallelujah. Out of all these people, he sees you. That's how much he loves. And so I just, let's just all stand together. This is the joy of salvation. And we just thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to invite those that are standing for the first time, and maybe all of us, we can just, just, just to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin tonight. Thank you for the gift of your blood. Thank you for washing me, redeeming me. I give you my life, and I ask that you give me the gift of salvation. Will you wash my sin away? And come and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus' blood. Amen. Amen. And if you're around on my prayer team, and if there's one who stood, I just want you to begin to just, just bless them. And, and church, let's just rejoice in the Lord. And let's celebrate with heaven over what's happening. Yeah, we just say blessing God, release blessing God, release blessing God, release blessing God. If you're a member of my staff or team, maybe just try to get information with somebody and have a conversation. And if you want to, if you're standing and you want to maybe, you could even have a prayer time in the back of the room or you could take them out and I don't know how to do this exactly, but the point is, is this is such a beautiful moment. So let's, maybe let's just, uh, yeah, we just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we, we, we prayed, we prayed this and, and maybe let's just let the team minister for a little longer and we can just pray as a church. We did this on Monday night prayer, but I, let's just pray for anybody in your life that you have a prodigal or someone that you love that you know is far from the Lord. And if that's you, I just, to just stand and begin to just pray salvation. We just, we just, Lord, and, and, and 
We just say, come home. Let's just, just literally begin to just speak out and pray over and just pray salvation. We just seen testimonies that the reason people are coming home tonight is because somebody else was praying. And so let's just pray. And we just say, Lord, continue to bring people home to the Father. Lord, we just say prodigals come home. May the lost come home. May those bound in darkness come home. We just say, come home. Come home to the Father. Yeah, don't hold back. Let your voices out. Pray. Pray them out by name. Call them out by name and say, come home. Just bind the work of the enemy over their life. Say, come home. Come home. Come home to the Father. Come home to the Father. Come home to the Father. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We thank you for the miracle of salvation. We bless what you're doing and Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We, we love you for those that stood. That's such courage. And you are loved with an everlasting love. <laughs> you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows the plans he has for you. Wow. God is good. Amen, church. Oh, help me, God. Help me, God. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. I, I, I have a... I have a sense of what I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to communicate, and I just need his help to, to get it out. And so, yeah, we just, you know, maybe, I honestly feel this. Like, I, would, would you just all maybe pray for me, but us together, just just, just pull on the Lord and, and just ask him to speak in this room, that, that he would make his deposit. Lord, I feel weak tonight. But we just ask that you would come and that you would articulate your word and your truth and that you would deposit holy seed into our hearts, that you would manifest yourself. Yeah, have your way. Help us, God. Help us, God. We're so grateful you know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. Say, help Jordan, God. I'm serious. Say, help him, Jesus. Oh, I receive that. And I say, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's just jump in here. God is a giver of good gifts. Amen. Says that he's the father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, one of the most clear disclosures of God's heart to humanity is that he is a father who gives good things to the ones that he loves. He created and it was good. He, he, everything he, he does, every act of God's will is actually sourced from a place of benevolence. It comes from a heart of kindness. It comes from a supreme dedication to the well-being of the ones that he loves and cherishes, which are you and me. God has never done anything other than goodness towards you and me. There has never been an act of his will that has not had our highest good at the very center of it. He is good and kind, and beautiful, and he is a gift giver, and that is all he ever will be. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 2 says, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, we were created so that we would walk, as David prayed in Psalm 23, in surely goodness and kindness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life. Good works, goodness, kindness will actually follow you every day of your life. You know, all salvation is, is stopping and turning around. Instead of walking away from the goodness and kindness that will still chase you, you just stop and turn. That's how I want to live my life, amen?
So the enemy's work is to try to get us to turn the other way and to swim downstream instead of just turning to face this benevolent flow of agape love that always has been and always will be 100% committed to your well-being. Come on. That's the father we all long for. That's who he is. Jesus came to reveal that face to humanity because Satan had so marred that face and has so many arguments and lies and half-truths and perversions to try to mar that face so that we actually can't even recognize that what he's giving is a gift. Satan cannot thwart the benevolence of God. Jesus said he causes his reign to, come, to fall on the wicked and the just. God will be kind to everyone because it's kindness that leads to repentance. Satan cannot stop that flow of generosity. But what he can do is pervert our understanding of that generosity so that we'll close our hearts and we'll close our hands and we won't receive it. Everything God has given, Sabbath, tithing, worship, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the obedience asks, the surrender, the, 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 the spiritual disciplines, everything God has commanded flows from generosity. It's for us. But you can see how the twistedness of the enemy comes in to pervert it so that we don't understand it, so that it gets twisted and we actually start to question if we even want it. We start to question his motives sometimes. Why are you doing this? Are you gonna punish me? This is why the famous verse, there's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves what? Punishment. The one who fears has not yet been perfected in love. The enemy operates in fear and the underwriting fears, this fear of punishment that God is not really good. That's what he works to do. Did God really say that, Eve? Is God really good or is he withholding from you? Is his command not to eat of the tree his withholding his goodness from you? This is the war that he wages in all of our lives. Let me pervert that face so that you'll see his nose as his withholding. One of the prayers that I pray often to the Lord is, God, I love your yeses. I love your nose. I love your not yet. I love your wisdom. I love your leadership. I'll tell them sometimes, Lord, I wanna kiss the hand that would even crucify me because yes, even the cross flows from a heart of generosity. He is good, amen. So we've been talking a lot about worship and I, I just... I believe that the Lord wants me to do some work tonight to actually separate performance or a heavy yoke from our understanding of worship. Because I believe that worship is one of the greatest gifts we have ever received from God. The fact that he has made himself accessible through worship is unbelievable. But I think that the enemy works really hard to try to make worship a heavy yoke something that we question if we even like or we wanna do and it becomes drudgery or dry or it can become ritualistic and a form with no power or it can become, there's all this work that the enemy tries to do to get us to let, just to drop the gift and be like, ah, yeah? <laughs> Let's go back to the joy of our salvation. <laughs> you guys are so just staring at me. If you were in my shoes, you'd be like, wow, what does that mean? So I want to tell you a story. Uh, I, was in, I was in Israel, uh, like, man, a long time ago, over a decade, I think, and I was with my younger brother, and we were kind of doing the pilgrimage thing, and we, uh, we spent a month in Jerusalem, and we were staying in a, uh, like a room on the, the top of a church, basically, and they let us stay in this room, and 
we were doing the house of prayer thing between the two of us. Like literally, we were trying to do 24 hours a day just between the two of us and taking night shifts. And I'm sure we skipped some minutes here and there, if you know what I'm talking about. But we were in this season of just really hungry for the Lord. And God was really introducing his voice to me in this season. And anyway, so we were really seeking him. And we had stayed at this place for free for like a month. And because uh, we had a friend of a friend connection. And, and so they'd given us. It was a super, you know, blessing to get to stay. We were right outside the old city, right outside the Damascus Gate. If anybody's been there, it's just it's amazing. I love Jerusalem. And at the end of this month, we were like, hey, we would just love to bless you guys like in any way. And they were like, yeah, you know, you can clean this place up because it's, it's really filthy. And like it was, the like apartment on the church was disgusting. Like the, the, the windows were so like covered in dirt, you couldn't see out of them. It was like when you put the fog on the windows, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but there was no fog, it was just dirt. It was like, these things haven't been cleaned in like eight years, I swear. So anyways, we're like, yeah, we're going to do this. So we literally worked from like sun up to sun down. We like had to fill the bathtub and soak these like screens and the windows and we're cleaning the windows and we're scrubbing the floor and we're doing the kitchen and like bachelors had been living in this place. It looked like for all of eternity, like since Jesus ascended to the father, I think bachelors had just lived in this house. So it was disgusting. And it's two like teenagers. We're maybe a little older than that, but we're cleaning this place. And you know how, when you just serve from a pure heart, there's a joy in that. There, it was just a joyful day. I remember it. We worked, I, I think, for like 12 hours straight. My mom had been interceding for decades for this, this day in our lives, you know? Like, that is just the fruit of prayers, moms. If you pray long enough and give enough spankings, one day from a free will offering, your boys will clean a house from love. You know what I'm talking about? Can I just get a wave offering from all the moms in the house tonight? So anyways, this was this moment. We finally broke the threshold. It's joy. I'm laying in my bed that night. I'm like, wow, Lord, this feels so joyful to just serve, you know, to just serve. And I literally, I was so happy. I was just so happy. I don't know how to describe it. And then all of a sudden, this voice just came into my ear and it was like, yeah, but you could have cleaned this, 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 and this too. Because like I said, this place was dirty. Like we probably could have cleaned for 30 days and it still found something. I'm serious. And all of a sudden, there's that voice, well, you could have cleaned more. I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could have, da, 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 And pretty soon, like within five minutes, this little voice, well, you could have done this, you could have done that. Don't think you're so spiritual, da, 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 I went from like laying in bed about to go to sleep so full of joy to literally with no joy, like none. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even do it. I should have. I, da, da, I'm not that, da, 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 da. I could have been more selfless. I could have served more. And all of a sudden, it was so drastic, joy to no joy, that I like stopped and I was like, Lord, what is going on in me? And it was a conversation I'll never forget because I recognized that that joy to no joy had been a posture, a, 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 a pattern that had probably repeated a thousand times in my life at that point. And, and the Lord started speaking to me and he said, Jordan, how many hours did you serve today? And I said, I served 12 hours or whatever it was. And he said, how many hours did you desire to serve today? And I was like, 12 hours, I was done. And he's like, yes. He's like, and that pleased me. He's like, if you would have gone from 12 to 14 hours, he's like, you would have been doing it, performing to try to earn something from me. And he's like, I didn't call you to that. He's like, you, you served to the capacity of your desire to serve. And, and, and I started realizing, I had all these things in my mind. Well, I love praying, but so-and-so prays X hours a day. You know, I love serving the poor but Heidi Baker has a church in a trash dump. I love doing X, but somebody else always has bigger. Do you know what I'm talking about? I started realizing the Lord said, Jordan, you're in comparison. And he started speaking. It was like this moment of clarity where he said, yes, like there are people that are further along than you, right? Amen. There's people that can inspire you. There's people that perhaps have a greater expression of the life of Jesus flowing through them. But this is the thing I found. Was I started realizing that I would look at what they, their lives and I'd, I'd look at what they do. And somehow I would use that as a measure of what I thought God was measuring me. And so I never felt like I could add up to that. And instead of it being able to experience the joy of what God was calling me to do, 
I would lose the joy in comparison because it could always have been something more. Yeah. I, I think I just, I felt prompted today that I was supposed to share this story. And I think it's, I think it's prophetic for some in this room. That you get into a, the, the gathering of believers, you get into a place, and, and we find joy. Like, joy is in the voice of Jesus. Joy is in what Jesus calls us to do. And it's actually owning our own process and being obedient to what he's called us to do. That's where joy is. And as we are obedient, obedience brings transformation. I used to literally compare myself and be like, hey, well, like, you know, there's joy in this, but I'm not, I'm not quite like so-and-so. I'm not as far as so-and-so. And the Lord said, yeah, and you're not going to get there by trying to be like them. You're going to get there by obeying my voice. And as you obey me, let me bring transformation to you. There's something about learning to be inspired by people that we imitate, but then at the same time, recognizing that I'm running my own race in the Lord. Like, well, I want to let someone else inspire my race and inspire conversation. But there's condemnation if we look to anywhere else other than the voice of Jesus in the way that we're running our race. I think that this is pervasive in the spirituality of the church. And it's the opposite of the easy yoke that Jesus wants to give to you and me. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I used to not be able to differentiate. Well, you could have served 16 hours. Oh, you're right, I could. And it creates that hamster on a wheel. Oh, well, you lifted your hands, but that person's kneeling next to you. Oh, you're getting touched with peace, but that person's shouting with joy. Oh, that person's dancing with all their heart. You're just twinkling your toes over there. You know, there, it's just there's something that the enemy is just, he preys upon to try to produce this insecurity. And when he does that, when he gets us to start entertaining his somewhat reasonable arguments, all of a sudden we go from joy, which is the easy yoke, the peace, the light burden. And all of a sudden we can, we can literally be sitting worshiping and we're like, no joy. Because there's something in us that's like, you could be a little bit better. You could give a little bit more. When really, only you and God know the answer to that question. Because his voice is an easy yoke. Right? Worship is a delight. God made you and he like loves this thing he's got with you. And this is the truth at the same time. You have room to grow and I have room to grow, amen? But I found that what the enemy tries to do is he tries to either stagnate us because we rebel against the heavy yoke. You're like, nope, I'm just gonna anchor down here and I'm not listening to that because that just makes me feel bad about myself and I am who I am. I'm not a dancer, I'm not this. And you just kind of, we hunker down. You know what I'm talking about? That's how we respond to the heavy yoke. Or the other response to the heavy yoke is, all right, then I'm just gonna strive to get there and I'm gonna fake it till I make it and I'm just gonna do what I don't feel like doing and, all, and just like going through these gymnastics and you just end up tired. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you're just actually tired. You're like, I think I can only do like, it's like we start relating to church like the gym. Okay, it's, it's like twice a month good enough, Lord? So that's a lot of work. That's a wrong mindset. At the center of worship is delight. I delight in you. You delight in me. I delight in you. You delight in me. Like when we see worship for what it is, it is a gift where God's saying, come and meet me at the altar because I'm going to be there too. And I'm going to delight in you as you delight in me. And it's pleasurable. That's scary for some of you when I say that because you're like, well, that sounds selfish. No, no, it's pleasurable. Worship is enjoying God. That's what we see the angels doing. <laughs> holy, holy, holy. You're wonderful, you're beautiful. They're just enjoying him. And there's this beautiful outflow and inflow. Worship's an easy yoke. 
It's a light burden. It is not performance, and it's also not stagnant. Worship is a continued growth because you can't see him and be unchanged. Isaiah 6, you can't gaze upon holiness and stay the same. Every breakthrough of grace is a breakup of self and a breakup of pride. That's Jack Hayford. I stole it. I, I had to repent. I was convicted. I was like, that sounds so good. Every breakthrough of grace in worship brings a breakthrough of pride in our lives. You can't stay the same. So you can't, it's not hamster wheel, and it's not I'm just trenched in and this is who I am. It's I'm coming in an easy yoke of delight, and I'm enough the whole way through the process. The grace of God is that you can love and be so excited about where you are and who he's developing you to be at the same time. That's, that's when you know you're in the easy yoke. You feel so good about yourself and you're excited for the change that he's promoting in your life. Only Jesus can do that. Let all the husbands say amen. Only Jesus can do that. Try to do that with your wife, it's hard. I'm serious, how many people, you got in a conversation, you're like, I'm trying to inspire some change right now. It's like, no, 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 accept me as I am. You know what I'm talking about? I've never experienced that, but I've heard about it. For all you lesser brothers out there, you know? No, I'm joking, but, but it's true. And this is the thing, though. I actually believe that as we learn to be led by the easy yoke of Jesus, that's, that's how we become leaders that can do the same thing in the people in our lives. Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, with our children, with our friends, with our coworkers, as we actually start to possess the capacity to make people feel really loved and accepted, and at the same time, we can, we can catalyze and inspire growth. And that's something that we should all be wanting to be and learning to be, but we have to receive it before we can give it. That's the easy yoke. We come to church to delight. That was, my, that was my intro. I'm going to try to do the, that was longer than I expected, but it's okay. I'll just go as long as I have. So I want to talk about the altar of worship and do, uh, I actually read a, um, a Jack Hayford teaching on this story, and I'm going to contextualize it myself, but I felt like it was prophetic for the time that we are in as a church. And when I say prophetic, I just mean, I think it's something that God is speaking now and it's contextually um, pertinent to the season that we're in at River House. And so I wanna talk about the altar of worship from the story of Eli and Eli's sons and Samuel. And this is in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, it's a wonderful book, you can read it um, yourselves, but in the first few chapters, we find out that the priest of Israel is Eli. He's like the high priest of Israel at the time. Uh, he's an older man when the story begins, and he has some younger sons who are kind of priest in the making. And then we have this woman, Hannah, who is barren, and she receives through this exchange with the Lord of pouring out her soul, she, is con she receives conception in older age with a boy named Samuel that she offers wholly unto the Lord. Have we read this story before? Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And, and I'm not gonna go deep into everything, but the, the, this is the premise I wanna look at, is that Eli is actually a study in worship turned inward on the self. Um, we, we are told explicitly in the text that Eli is a very fat man, um, which is indicative of the fact that he's getting fat literally off of the offerings that Israel, the, the worship of Israel. They would offer the animals and he was getting fat off of them. It's kind of a graphic picture, um, but it's a study. It's a look at worship when it's turned inward. Uh, we become spiritually obese. Uh, there's a, there's a, a self-gratifying and a self-indulgence that wreaks havoc in Eli's life. And ultimately, at the heart of it, is there is no satisfaction in this form of worship. And it's actually a perversion of the gift of worship. It's, it's not primarily oriented around self. Uh, it's, it's, 
the, the, the altar of God is a place of self-emptying. It's not a place of self-gratifying. And Eli had a, a misconception. He had a, a place of brokenness in his understanding of the worship of the day. And he was actually gratifying himself at the altar instead of using the altar as a place for the self-emptying. And what I would say when you look at Eli is he's a devout man. It wasn't that he had a bad heart. He just had a misprioritization of worship. He had a wrong order. It was self first instead of, it, it was a self taking before a self offering. Because worship is an exchange, but we have to understand rightly. And so Eli is worship turned inward. And then his sons are raised up within this context of a perverted ecosystem of worship. And I have found just in my observations pastorally for the last decade that it's often that when we behold the, the maybe the failures of the prior generation, the next generation swings the other way. Do you know what I'm talking about? It can be the same spirit, but it's the opposite manifestation. And we find in Eli's sons that what walks in Eli, it starts running in the next generation. But instead of worship turned inward, the next generation, Eli's sons actually turn outward and they become increasingly worldly. And they begin uh, operating in sexual promiscuity. And it's this picture of worship turned worldly. It's this trying to integrate and assimilate worship into the, the culture of the day. And it opens this slippery slope. And we've seen this. We've seen this in the church. We've seen this in the Western context. We've seen both of these expressions. We've seen worship that's about me. We've seen worship that's trying to be really hip, cool Jesus. And I don't think any one of those are the worship that the scriptures are revealing to us. Amen. So this is the day and age. And in this context of a perverted understanding of the gift of worship, we see a very tragic day in the history of Israel, which is where the ark of the presence has become essentially dwindled down to uh, like a rabbit's foot or a lucky charm or something that they would use to bless them in battle. And so even though the worship is turned worldly and there's no power and understanding to the worship, they're like, hey, there's a battle with the Philistines. Let's just send the ark there so God God will give us victory. And there's this, this, this worship, this, this ritualism of worship, which is the form. You're, you're doing the right thing. You're singing the songs, but there's no, there's no connection at the heart level. There's no real faith attached to it. It's, it's the superficial understanding of we do this and put the quarter in the vending machine and you do this for us, God. It's this transactional ritualistic understanding of worship. And, of course, the ark is defeated that day, and Israel is defeated, and the, 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 the sons of Eli die, and Eli himself dies, and one of Eli's, Eli's uh, son's wife gives birth to a baby in her grief as she hears that her husband has died, and she gives birth to a boy, and she says, Ichabod. She calls him Ichabod, which the word kabod is glory. It's the inverting of that. It's saying no glory. This is a day of no glory in Israel. And the ark is taken into another land. This is sobering. This is not a fun story, but I think it speaks. It's, there's pertinence to the Western context of Christianity Today, I think we're, we're on a journey where the Holy Spirit is, is leading us into right understanding. There's reformation taking place in the worship of the people of God. A purification, a, a rebuilding of the altar of worship and pure right offering. Right, And again, this is an easy yoke. That's why I started with that. <laughs> Come on. But it's a reformation, it's a, it's a transformation, it's a gazing upon holiness and, and being turned and transformed so that we become the worshipers that God's looking for in spirit and truth. So what does God do in the story? He does what only God can do. He does the upside down, inside out, unthinkable thing. He finds a child at an altar. <laughs> That's God's plan. It's a seven, eight-year-old boy named Samuel. 
whose mother made a powerful decision that he would be holy unto the Lord. And she literally gifts him to God and places him upon the altar, graphically, but in a way that should speak to all of us, mothers and fathers in the room, that that boy was not hers, he was God's. And Samuel is a child of the presence, and he's upon the altar. And at the altar of the Lord, he has an encounter with God, and God speaks to a seven or eight-year-old. That was his plan to bring awakening and reformation to the worship of a nation. It was a boy. It was a little one. (laughs) I think God's doing this today. I think God is establishing and preparing praise from the mouth of infants and nursing babies. I think God is, is raising up children that would lead us, children that would call us back to right worship. So he finds a boy at an altar named Samuel, and Samuel becomes a prophet. And, and he, he's the first one that installs the king Saul. But as Saul at Gilgal offers an impure sacrifice, which God was trying to eradicate, God rejects Saul and he finds a man after his own heart, right? At this time, when when God tells Samuel, I've rejected Saul and I found a man after mine own heart, David wasn't even born yet. God saw an unborn child. And he said, I'm gonna raise up a child who knows how to worship me rightly. So from a child prophet, a a, a child of the presence who encountered God at an altar of worship as he learned to minister unto the Lord. He then sets in place a king who was a child who literally was, even at the time that Samuel anointed him, was a 17-year-old with a harp in his hand. (laughs) Where am I going? So two things. God, God is, he's speaking to us. I think, this is, I think this is prophetic. I think this is profound. God's answer to bring the purification of worship to an Israel who had forgotten worship was to raise up child, to, to lead them with a child, to lead them with, with ones who would worship with the heart of a child. The heart of a child. Jesus tells this woman, again, he uses very unlikely people to release the revelation of reformations that he's wanting to bring. And so he he chooses an immoral woman who's had six husbands at a well, say, hey, this is the worship God's looking for. Quite an unlikely candidate, don't you think? If I'm God, I'm probably going to go to the high priest and say, hey, there's reformation. But he, he, he chooses this woman because... God is using anybody. He, does, he just likes to use ordinary little people like you and me. And he often likes to use rejected people like David. You know, when, you know many scholars, there's debate that when David says in the Psalms, in, in sin my mother conceived me. Have you read this before? There was no doctrine of original sin at this point. Some scholars argue that what he's saying is my mother had an affair with Jesse. And in sin I was conceived. Therefore, I was a half-son of Jesse so that when Samuel came looking for the next king, he didn't even invite me in. He invited his, his sons, and he didn't even consider David his son. For once, whatever reason, God likes to use rejected people to say, I've chosen you. That's for someone in this house tonight. You're feeling rejected, but God says, no, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. And I can use you to bring a reformation to a nation because one person with God is a radical majority. God doesn't overlook the despised things. He chooses them. God has chosen you. So he chooses this woman, says, I'm looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. There's a lot of things we could say about this passage, but it's clear he's expressing priority. First is spirit. Second is truth. Worship in spirit and truth. You can't worship in truth. You can't worship in spirit. You can't worship in truth until you worship in spirit. A a, a modern rendering of spirit could be the heart. You have to worship in heart. What is the language of the heart? It's not theology. It's, It's emotion. It's affection. 
It's expression. It's, you know, have you ever seen a little child that does not have any emotion? No. Children are emotional. Children are free. Children have not been conditioned by the outer world and the outer things. They worship from the heart. They live from the heart. God is saying the heart of worship is the heart of a child. And we can't enter the kingdom unless we convert and become like a God, I'm looking for the worship of a heart, of a child, of a free expression, of someone who's not afraid to empty their heart and pour it out before the Lord. It's as if the, the, the primary emphasis that we've put on worship is the theology. The theology is true and truth, but you can worship in truth and not spirit. You can. That's called ritualism. That's called I have all the right things, but there's no heart to it. And God says, I'm raising up children. I believe he's doing that literally in our own homes. I believe he's doing it in our church. I believe he's, you know, I've, I've seen the young ones when they're dancing, when they're singing. He's, he's raising up. You see this Asbury awakening. It's through children. It's through young ones. It's through those who are just free to, to offer their heart. Their heart is the offering. And the truth comes. We have to have truth. I'm not against truth. I love the scriptures. But it's spirit and truth. It's the heart. It's the heart of worship. He's calling us back to the heart of worship. It's the heart of a child. It's free. It's expressive. It's my heart is being displayed to you, God. It's, it's a child at an altar. God is awakening a childlike heart, but he's bringing us to an altar. And what is the altar of the Lord? This is important. This is so important. I'm going to try to make it practical. I know we're almost, we're almost done. God bless Brenda. God bless all those children workers. Seriously. God bless our families. God bless our children. Amen. God bless our children who you're using to disciple us, God. Truly, not some like nice form like God is speaking through the children. My gosh, let's just bring the children in. As you're getting your text, bring your children in. Bring them in. God's using children to lead us to the altar. And what is the altar? This is, if you boil down the altar, this is what the altar of the Lord is. It is a place of sacrifice and reward. For those that are to come to God, in the context, it's come to worship God. They must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is the altar, two core beliefs, sacrifice of self and the reward of God's self-revelation to man. This is the cross. This is the altar. This is the place of great exchange. This is the center of the house of God. This is what Ezra first established when they built God's house. They rebuilt the altar. The worship of a, of a, of a community, the worship of the church, the worship of a nation, it comes down to which altar are you worshiping upon. There's the Asherahs, there's the Baals, there's the other altars, but the altar of the Lord is a place where we offer ourselves and God offers himself. We come to die, he releases resurrection life. We come with our burdens, he gives us the burden of the Lord. It is a place of divine exchange and it is the center point. It is the focal point of man's relationship with God in this life. When we get to eternity, there will no longer be an altar because the cross will be behind us. But in this life, the cross, the altar of the Lord, it is the place of great exchange. It is the place of transaction. It is the place for our weakness and his glory. It is the place for our sin and his righteousness. It is the place of our, of our frailty and his divinity. It is the altar of the Lord. It's the altar of the Lord. And we must have an equal belief system in both the sacrifice and the reward. We are called to offer ourselves through song, through our finances, through our time, through, through our behaviors, through what we do. There is, there is a, a daily call to the altar, to the cross. But then there is a, there's a daily reward where God he is the reward. Some people are afraid. We say, well, if we say reward, you're going to make it about self. No, 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 no. God says, I am a rewarder of those who seek me. We, we, we actually have 
to have this belief that he is equally the rewarder. But what we have to recognize is he is the reward. He can manifest reward in a thousand ways, but he will endow those he loves with good things. It may be in the form of, of outer things. It may be inner things. We don't get to control what the reward is. We just know who it is. And it is the heart of this father who says, I am good and I never change and all I've ever wanted to do is give you good things. That's the altar of the Lord. All right, this is, this is where I'm gonna close. God, God is looking for worshipers who have established the rhythm daily, weekly, where we are coming and we are putting our hearts on the altar because it is there we will receive the disclosure of divine self-revelation and we receive the reward of God. And this is, this is the transaction of worship. It's an offering and then a receiving, right? See, Eli had it. Eli thought the altar was a place you come and eat first. You don't eat first, you give first. But as you give, you then get the water of life without money and without price. There, it, there's priority. It is a place of self-surrender. This is the place that God is discipling us as individuals. This is the place where God is discipling our families. This is the place where God is discipling our church. We're learning to become worshipers who receive. And this is the spirit of Elijah. Who has heard the verse? God is sending the spirit of Elijah to turn families together. Fathers to sons, sons to fathers, mothers to daughters, mother-in-laws to daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws to father-in-laws. God is actually speaking something profound here. What was Elijah? Elijah was one who repaired the altar of the Lord. He had a zeal for pure worship. And God's saying, as the altar of the Lord is restored, I'm gonna heal families. I'm gonna heal my family when we become worshipers who worship rightly who understand that the, the discipleship mechanism of the kingdom is come and give of your heart to God and let God give of himself and bring transformation. This is how we disciple our children. We say, family, we're coming to the altar. This is the sacrifice that the Lord's asking of today. And they get to witness with their two eyes, mom and dad leading as they pour their hearts on the altar and then watch God show up. You, you, we won't be afraid of what our schools are teaching and what our laws of our government. We don't need to be concerned because what will grip a heart is the revelation of the God of ages as he responds and comes to the praises and the worship of his people. If worship will be purified, we will be gripped by God because worship is not for him primarily. It's for you and I. It's about him. It's an offering to him. But why he asked for it is for your good and my good. It is a gift. It's a gift that flows from the benevolence of a kind father. Oh, the kids are here. The anointing just increased to the next level. Come on. The spirit of Elijah is an easy yoke. And I believe that the spirit of Elijah is being loosed across the church in America today. I believe that God is releasing his zeal for worship. He's raising up Elijah's who will say in the house of God, but in my own house, I'm repairing the altar of the Lord. And for me and my house, we will be ones who offer pure worship to God. We will be moms and dads that model, I will sacrifice myself on the altar and we will wait for the fire of heaven to descend once again and expose that all the other gods are idols but there is a God in heaven who sees and we will disciple families with young ones and generations that will say at the altar of the Lord I saw his face at the altar of the Lord I watched my mom and dad wrestle with God and see his face and change a generation at the altar of the Lord I saw addiction break it's at the altar of the Lord and the altar that's here we're seeing it in our midst in the house of God it's not just for the corporate gathering it is for every house and I believe that God is is loosing the spirit of Elijah tonight I mean, literally, he's, he's, it's like a wind blowing, and it's a desire inside of us as a church to repair the altar of the Lord. 
And for some of you, it's repairing to a place that it was. But I actually believe that for many, if not most, it's actually repairing to a place beyond of generational. But we've never seen it. We've never seen what it looks like to have a home that's built around an altar, much like Israel in these days. And, and I'm just telling, I just have this sense and unction that God is raising up Samuels. He's speaking to Samuel. He's speaking to David. He's speaking to children. He's speaking to rejected ones. He's speaking to people who are small in their own eyes. He's saying, build me an altar. He's speaking to Gideon hiding in the wine press. Build me an altar. Build me an altar. I want to be honest. For some of you, I'm going I'm to just give an opportunity to respond. But like Gideon, Gideon had to tear something down before he could build the altar of the Lord in its place. Some of us are going to have to tear down some things because the spirit of Elijah, the zeal of the Lord is being released for pure worship. For pure worship. Amen. So that this, is, this is actually what I want to do. I, if, if God is speaking to you to this, through this tonight, I just actually want to invite you to just stand where you are. If you want to come forward, I want to invite you to come forward. If you want to kneel and make your, your own, if you want your seat to be an altar, if you want to come to the altar of the Lord up here, I want you to come. And th this is what I actually want to do. I'm going to invite, uh, I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Justin. I'm going to invite um, Megan up. They're both elders. They don't know I'm doing this. Sorry, I should have told you. I didn't know until not very long ago. But, but I, I actually think that what God is doing, it's, it's, it's this blend of the prophetic heart of Jesus and the shepherding heart of Jesus. The prophetic zeal for pure worship on an altar, but the, the shepherding heart that my family will be whole. And I'm just going to invite you to stand. I want you to come forward. Maybe we can put the lights down if someone wants to play the keys. And all I'm going to do is I'm actually going to invite them. I'm going to invite Megan to pray. And, and is, is, is this with prophetic this prophetic grace on her life. I'm going to invite her to pray and to actually release this prophetic zeal of the Lord that would come upon us, the spirit of Elijah. And then, and then after she prays, I'm going to have Justin pray for the shepherding heart of the Father God to be loosed in this house and that God would actually do an impartation in our church, that, that the altar will be restored in an easy yoke, like an easy yoke. We're not going to earn it. It's the heart of God. It's the zeal of Jesus. So, hallelujah. If you want to come forward, just come. If you, if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to stand, whatever you want to do, just I want you to posture yourself to receive the spirit of Elijah come upon you like the yoke of Jesus, the easy yoke from heaven tonight. Lord, we come to you right now and say yes to your invitation to be consecrated unto you, Lord. We come with pure hands and a clean heart, Lord. And we say, Lord, thank you for the invitation to come and give you worship, give you worship that you're worth, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you are, you are making us a dwelling place, Lord. You're making us a dwelling place individually, Lord, but as a church body, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you are, t you are taking us and you're revealing the heart of worship, Lord, because you're easy to worship. You're easy to adore. You're easy, Lord, to love on. And I just pray right now that you're, you're bringing deep wells. You're cultivating deep wells in our hearts, deep wells, Lord, of adoration, Lord, that we wouldn't run out of things to say that we love about you, God. And I ask that you come and your spirit would rest upon us and we'd be a people of worship, Lord, a people of deep worship, Lord, a people who worship and we linger in worshiping you, God. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're bringing revelation of the value of Jesus Christ. You're bringing revelation in the worth of your son, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd escort us into the depths of you, Lord, and that when we meet you face to face, God, that you would give us words of adoration. And would you anoint us to worship? Would you anoint us to come to you face to face? Would you anoint us to unravel our hearts, Lord, and offer you our hearts, God, in simplicity, Lord? And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that this is, this is such a deep invitation to intimacy. It's a deep invitation to relationship 
relationship with you, God. And I just pray the grace of God over every single worshiper in this house, that you would come, Lord, and your grace would compel us to greater depths in your heart. Lord, that your grace would compel us to greater lengths, Lord, greater, greater capacity. And I thank you, God, that you're expanding the tent pegs of our hearts, that you're strengthening your stakes and you're lengthening your cords and you're expanding us to the right and to the left and you're billowing, you're billowing your worship, Lord, your desire for worship in us. And I just say, swing wide every heart, swing wide every heart that we would, we would be joyful in our worship to you. And I come against the lie that worshiping Jesus is a heavy yoke right now in the, in the name of Jesus. And I just pray that the, the light yoke and the easy burden of Jesus, that you would compel us to draw near. And as that you're expanding our tent pegs, Lord, that you're bringing life to these places. Nearness, Lord, would you, would you anoint us with the ministry of proximity? Anoint us with the ministry of proximity right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that our secret places would be the most exciting place in you and that when we come together corporately, Lord, all the fires we've spent from Monday to Saturday would erupt in one song unto you, God. I thank you for your purpose and your plan in this. And I bless every person listening to this by the power and the precious and the worthy son of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we look to you, the good shepherd. We surrender, we bow before the good shepherd tonight. We bow in reverence to you, good shepherd. And Lord, we ask you to come and sanctify us as fathers. Sanctify the father heart in us, God. Break our hearts for what breaks your heart, God. Break our hearts, God, as fathers, for the things that break your hearts in our families, God. Lord, we bow before you. We bow in reverence before you, God. You're the good father, and you give good gifts to your kids, God. God, we come low tonight so that you can be big in our families, God. We come low, Father. Would you birth the Father heart in us as fathers, God? Lord, would you mend and heal whatever's broken in us as fathers, God? We surrender to your heart tonight, God. We surrender tonight, God. We don't come in our own authority. We come under your authority tonight, God. Lord, I just ask you to raise up powerful warrior mothers in this house tonight, God. Lord, let the voices of our mothers be powerful and strong. Let the voice of our women and our mothers be powerful and strong in our homes. God, give us the warrior heart of Jesus in our homes, Lord. God, we ask you for a divine impartation tonight of the warrior King Jesus heart in our women and our mothers tonight, God. God, we just come against the assignment of the orphan spirit in the land. We say, come break that in our families come break the orphan spirit says you don't belong you don't have a place you're outside the family we say no to the orphan spirit tonight we say no to disconnected families tonight we say no to broken marriages tonight we say no to the things that divide us tonight. We say no to all assignments and agreements that have been made to the orphan spirit tonight. We say yes to you, good shepherd. We say yes to you, good shepherd. We bow before you.
and say, come and mentor us and disciple us to be fathers and mothers who raise amazing children, God. We say yes to you tonight. We say, Father, come and sanctify us tonight. Come and sanctify us. And God, we ask you to come and break any generational curse tonight. Any generational curse of divorce, any generational curse of sin, any generational curse, God, that is not for our families, Lord. The blood of Jesus is sovereign over every curse, every weapon and curse the enemy put on our families. We say thank you for the blood of Jesus, sovereign over every curse. We appropriate the blood of Jesus tonight over our families. And we say, good shepherd, come and shepherd us. Come and be the good shepherd of our homes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, Lord, we just open our hearts and we receive the spirit of Elijah that you would blow like a wind in this house. I just, I just encourage anybody that's here as a family, before you leave, let this be an altar of prayer as a family. And I just encourage, you know, husbands as the authority of your home to, to, to humble yourself and to just serve, bless your wives, bless your children, parents, don't leave without just blessing. Just maybe explain in your own words to the your little ones what it means, but to lay hands, no matter how old or young they are, but to lay hands and bless them. And if you're here and your kids aren't here with you, to just pray for your ch children, pray for your family, that this, this would just be a space of prayer between you and the Holy Spirit, and that there would just be a, a placing of your family. I just want to encourage every husband as the priest of, of your home, as the God's designated authority, that, that you would make the that cry that for me and my house we will serve the Lord and that there will just be a, a fortifying in the inside that will then manifest externally that, that my house and my family is upon the altar, that my heart is upon that altar. And so, Lord, we just we just bless this moment at the altar. God, I just bless even the, the, the what you're building in every home in this room. God, that, that we just declare. Lord, for, for River House, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will worship you, God, in purity, in spirit, and in truth. Yeah, so I'm gonna have them just keep playing, and this is, it's just a, a time of prayer. You're welcome to, to linger as long as you need or, or to leave as you're ready, um, but just bless, just bless, bless each other, husbands and wives, moms and dads children, siblings even, older siblings, bless your younger siblings. Lord, we meet you at the altar tonight. We ask that you will fall like fire, not just here on Sundays, but in our homes, we pray in Jesus' name.